guys, welcome to Overcrest. I'm Chris. And I'm Jake. And <laughs> what you just heard was a swarm of wasps, which, as we learn later in this episode, is a Vespa. Right. We have Peter Moore. He is an author, uh, a travel author, I suppose you could say. Travels all over the world, has visited 105 countries. He has authored many books that retell tales of his travels. He is a Vespa enthusiast. In his 2005 book, Vroom with a View, and 2007 book, Vroom by the Sea, featured trips through Italy taken on a vintage Italian Vespa. He's written many other travel books, such as No Shitting in the Toilet, The Travel Guide for When You've Really Lost It, and Swahili for the Brokenhearted, Cape Town to Cairo by any means possible. <laughs> and he's a, he's a great guest. I actually have uh, Vroom with a View book right here, and it is actually a good book. You know, sometimes <laughs> he's, he's maybe the book's not so good. It's actually a really, really good book. But before we get to that, what have you got for us? Yeah, let's take a minute to talk about our sponsor, Petrol Box. Petrol Box is a monthly service made specifically for the automotive enthusiast. Each month, they carefully select items, including tools, detailing supplies, apparel, garage gear, stickers, and publications to be sent right to your doorstep. It's a curated selection of the latest and greatest gear in the industry. And there's actually two different levels of subscription to choose from. The Petrobox Basic costs less than 20 bucks a month, while the Petrobox Premium gets you even more gear for $39.95 a month. Check them out at mypetrolbox.com and be sure to use the code OVERCREST at checkout to get $6 off your first month. Now, you wanted to talk a little bit about Vespas. I, do I need a Vespa? I guess it's just my general question. I have a friend and listener mm-hmm. who said, I have a friend of a friend Ooh. who has an old Vespa sitting in the basement. I see. And she just became widowed and is looking to get rid of it. I see. Um, and I, I have a photo of it, and I need... I'm probably going to follow up on this. Yeah, you might as well just for the adventure of it and just discover this thing and get it running and it'll be just fun. You know, that sounds fun. Um, I don't know. What don't you know? Well, yes, you should buy this because it sounds fun. It sounds like a cool project. It sounds interesting. <laughs> I would buy it. Okay, but, but what don't you know? I don't think I will keep the Vespa. So we're not going to Sturgis? A, no. <laughs> B, I don't have time. I don't I have know. time. I was just like about that. Yeah, I'm like all the rally stuff we're doing is yes. just, I just don't have time to go to Sturgis. <laughs> I think that I would drive You're it. not a two-wheel guy. I don't think I am. I know, and that's I okay. Don't, I don't think I am. I, I just, I don't think, now, I, would I like to drive it around the back roads of Italy? Yeah, like Peter did? Yeah. yeah, absolutely. That would be wonderful. But I live in a grid of 55-mile-per-hour roads. Yeah. It is not... Not in ideal. any way, shape, or form ideal for, I, you know what I could do? You know what a, you need? Is a Harley. Oh, a God. big cruiser. Why? So I can go on a straight line going potato, potato, potato? That's what it's made for. It's made for those roads. Yeah, but I have a car, so I don't need, I don't need that. <laughs> I was thinking maybe I could bring the Vespa down here and we could park it at the studio. And yeah. It could just be like a, a, a thing. thing that we look at, you know, a thing that's just here. Would you rather have it to look at or rather sell it? It's, I don't, what's it worth? You have a title for that yet? Not yet. I got to go do that. So I'll, I'll have it at least as long as it takes to get okay. a title well, for it. Well, then you can, we can have it down here to hang out. All right. So are you driving your C10 up? I'll bring up? the C10 up. We'll load it up and bring it down well, here. Well, you got to drive the thing in it. You keep telling me all the time. I know. I'm going to drive busy. it. I'm going to drive I'm it. I'm busy, darn it. Yeah. All right. All right. <laughs> too busy to hang out with you. Hey, friend that we do a podcast with. Hey, I'm just too busy for you. Is that what you're saying? I'm you're saying- You're too busy for I, my friendship? Yes. 
Oh, <laughs> <laughs> oh on man. that note, <laughs> on that note, let's let's talk to Peter Moore. He's uh, talk about his travels a little bit, and I I kind of veered off the Vespa path a little bit because I wanted to hear about. Well, he has like, such amazing stories. He's done some crazy traveling. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, Peter Moore. Peter Moore, thank you so much for hanging out with us today on the podcast. I really appreciate it. No, no, my pleasure. My pleasure. It's Any, a, I'm happy to talk about travel anytime. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I mean, that's we all want to talk about what we love. And I saw this quote. Yeah. I was reading a news article about you from one of your books that you wrote, one of the book releases that you did. And it says, I couldn't okay. write about people sitting around a table getting orgasmic about a tomato. I can't take that travel seriously. And for, no. and for you, for you, it's it's an, it's an indulgence. And what did you mean by that when you talk about is that like stuffy travel or you know that's 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 a real lifestyle travel choice right there? Thinking of it that way, it is. And I guess I, I should point out that's that's me personally. That's not the kind of travel I enjoy. Um, I can totally understand you know someone who goes to Italy to eat the food because it is amazing. You know what I mean, and it will blow your mind. But to me, the really interesting thing I love about travel is the people you meet and the experiences you have, and all the unexpected stuff. You know what I mean? I, I like to sort of turn up without too many preconceptions and just let things happen. And to me, that's what I love about travel. Um, you know, it, that might be one night where I'm having a beautiful tomato, but then the next night it could be just a really, <laughs> you know, I could be staying in a, a terrible place with rats running along the wall and all that sort of thing. And I'll still find something to love about that experience as well. I've, I feel like I've been watching travel evolve a little bit. I've traveled a lot. I've been to, I've been to Italy, which we'll talk a little bit about later. I've been to Germany. I've been, I've been yeah. to kind of the normal places. Like I'm a normal <laughs> traveler. Like I haven't slept in any yeah. places with rats crawling around the walls or anything like that. And I, and I think that I've watched cell phones and social media destroy yeah. travel. And you've, you've had people that are using their phones and social media to, as, as exploits to, show other people that they're traveling rather than mm. just sit there and enjoy the travel as they're doing it. Everybody's so worried about yeah. capturing where they are and what they're doing and showing people. And like, it, it was like, uh, I had a conversation with another guy the other day and he's like, I don't understand why people take videos of fireworks. <laughs> like, what are they doing? Are they going to show that to people later? Are they going to be like, wow, look at the exactly. reds and greens. This was really great. Yeah. And I think like travel and is almost that out. way where, where it it's never, almost been ruined. never turn out either. The photos never turn out. Either. No, it's always <laughs> crap. It's always crap. And no one it's wants like, to see your pictures of the gig. Mayan pyramids. Just be there yeah. and, and do it. Have you? Because you've been doing that. And the reason I ask is because you've been doing this for a really long time. And I wanted to get your opinion on it. I have been it. doing it for a long time. Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, you know, travel goes through cycles. I mean, when I first started uh, many, many years ago, there was the, we were going through the same kind of thing. Travel had gotten really glossy. It was like all these sort of, you know, shows like Holiday and all that sort of thing. And none of them were really talking about what I loved about travel, which is the really bizarre stuff that happens. The fact that when things go wrong, they actually go right. You know what I mean? And you have these memorable experiences. And you just know from yourself when you, you know, you're telling a travel story to someone, if you're, you know, if you're telling them, oh, I was at this place and it was a beautiful hotel and a beautiful beach and, you know, there was a bar in the pool, people's eyes start to glaze over. But if you say, I was on this bus and it, you know, went over this you know, cliff and I survived and, you know, and all these terrible things happen, everyone's engaged. You know what I mean? I just think it, 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 that's how it was before and it's sort of come back to that. And I think getting the photo seems to be more important than having the experience. 
And funnily enough, I was in the Seychelles a couple of years ago. I mean, classic, you know, Instagram kind of destination. Um, and I was on this beautiful beach and this guy and this girl drove up in a car, stopped, got out. He had a drone. Uh, she had a change of clothes. She gets in this bikini and is prancing around the beach. And this sounds drone... pretty good to me so far from your perspective. <laughs> I mean, it sounds all right. Okay, yeah, exactly. Uh, I'll get to my point. <laughs> anyway, this drone's down and it's eye level, and she's flirting with the drone and blowing it kisses and that sort of stuff. And this goes on for about 10, 15 minutes. You know, he takes a few more shots. And then basically, they then packed everything up and jumped back in the car and drove off. Now, here's this beautiful beach. They didn't even go in the water. They didn't They didn't get there was a bar nearby. They didn't get a drink. They just came, got the shot, and went. And I just think that's wrong. You know what I mean? Sure, yeah. get your shot, but at least stay around and, and enjoy yeah, the place. It's, it's the <laughs> it opposite of so being freaky. authentic, you know, in the location. And yeah. it's just so superficial. I think, well, I think that lends to social media in general. And so, well, yeah, and it's a shame because I think you're just robbing yourself of really fantastic experiences. You know what I mean? And, you know, I, I understand the urge to get a, a great photo uh, and to, you know, show off a bit. You know, here I am in this exotic place. But, uh, you know, take the time to just sort of to enjoy it as well and just, just experience it. So I would surmise, based on what I've read about you, that you're – would you classify yourself as addicted to traveling? Because you've been over to 105 countries or whatever oh, it is that sure. I read. I mean, is this something? For sure. I mean, lockdown's been really hard for me. <laughs> I, bet, I, bet. I am in cold turkey. You know what I mean? Just <laughs> sort of really sort of suffering by not not being able to just go and travel. And uh, yeah, and uh, yeah, that's fair enough. That's a fair point. I stand, you know, stand, <laughs> stand accused and, you know, of that. And stand accused. And so what's the gateway drug then yeah. for all this? What was, how did you realize like I know, like I love to explore. I love to go experience new things. I do it in my car, and I can point to a yeah. specific moment that I'm like, "Wow, that was that was it. That was the moment that okay. I realized that this feeling, <laughs> that this sh- this shot yeah. in the arm, I got to get more of that. Where can I find the, yeah. you know, the drug dealer? What was that moment for you? I can I can tell you exactly when it happened. It was when I was 19, and uh, long story short, my dad was uh, I was brought up a seven day Adventist, and they're very much big into the mystery kind of thing, and they had a mission school in Vanuatu. Uh, and my dad was a plumber, went over there to do uh, some work for the, the, the mission school, et cetera, et cetera, said, do you want to come along? I go, yeah, okay. Uh, and while we were there, they took us to this little island called Malakulu where this tribe lived, the, the, the big Nambus. Uh, and the big Nambus, well, there's two tribes. There's a small Nambus and the big Nambus, and the, all they wear is a red cloth wrapped around their penises. Uh, the small Nambus believe that's it. That, we're talking, that's the stitch small of clothing that they have on is, is the <laughs> exactly. red flag. They believe small is good. The big Nambus obviously think opposite and use a lot more red cloth. So <laughs> I, remember going, yeah, I remember just going there and arriving there and meeting this tribe. And I just thought, you know, I'm originally from Sydney. Vanuatu is a two hour flight. And I'm just thinking I'm two hours from home and there's this otherworldly thing here that I, it's just blowing my mind. And, yeah, after that, I just thought, I've got to see the world. I've got to just see what's out there. And, and yeah, basically every chance I had after that, I was traveling. So what was the store like, like the trinket, the the, the tourist store? Was it just, I want you, could, you, could you buy one of these little red? Red cloths? Did, did, did you take one home? You might be able to now. Back what, then it was, you know. Which, which tribe did you belong now, to? Like did, you, did you feel more affinity with either tribe? <laughs> Uh, well, I, 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 I totally hypothetical. 
And when you discuss travel on your website, you say it's all about random encounters with fellow humans in unexpected yeah. places. And I think that, yes. that that is awesome. And because you can see, yeah. you know, the, the Mayan pyramids, when you go see them or when you go see, uh, you go to Boston, you see the Liberty Bell or whatever, you can see these things. You go, oh, that's nice. And then you look at it and, you yeah. just, and, you're, and you're done, right? You're over. You're on to the next thing that yeah. you can see. But building a relationships, even if they're short-term relationships, are really, really awesome. And I was wondering if you have any random encounters with fellow humans in unexpected places that you'd like to tell us about. Well, yeah, I mean, uh, partly uh, the point I'd like to make, I guess, is that it's about letting yourself be open to having those experiences as well, because you can convince yourself that everyone's out to uh, kill you or rob you and kidnap you and so on and so forth. And sometimes they are, (laughs) particularly the, you know, particularly after, you know, your money, for example, because really you're, you're, you're walking ATM uh, to, to in a lot of poor countries, but um, yeah, no, just all, all those kind of things. I remember just, you know, um, when I was traveling uh, and I, uh, when I did my trip back from London, I did a big overland trip from London back to Sydney. And I remember going into arriving in um, Albania, like long story short, ended up in Tirana and not expecting to be there and just sort of walking around, not knowing um, where I was going to stay or whatever. And this guy just came up to me and introduced himself as Marindi and because he obviously could tell I wasn't from those parts uh, and wanted to practice his English. And basically befriended me, said, I said, look, I need somewhere to stay. He goes, now come and stay at my place. So we get on this old beat up bus. It breaks down before we get to his place. Everyone just sort of, you know, was resigned to the fact that it was going to break down and just sort of shuffle off. And we eventually get to his house he kicks his wife and his daughter out and sends them to stay with uh, the family so I can have the, the, the bed. He slept on the couch. Uh, and basically, you just, you know, was, you know, gave me food and all that sort of thing. And I, the thing I remember most about that was his toilet because he was like, it was his language laboratory. It was like where he taught himself English because he had on one side of the wall it was plastered with pages from the Book of the Mormon. And on the other, it was like the penthouse letters page. (laughs) 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 On one one side, you've got Jehoshaphat coming out of the desert. Next to the other side, you've got, you know, you know, JL from Ohio asking about, you know, what should be done with whether a carrot can enlighten, the, you know, can liven up a marriage. It was just the yeah. most totally bizarre thing ever. But <laughs> one, of, um, one of those penthouse letters started with a, hey, I once saw a guy wearing only a red cloth on his <laughs> well, I was going to say something about a Mormon. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Exactly. Like, and, you know, and, and again, um, just fantastic guy. And he took me to the, you know, the, the, the dictator, this was um, just after the sort of uh, uh, Stalinist dictator had been kicked out and his mausoleum had been turned into a disco. So he took me there uh, on the Thursday night and the only re- they had like a record player on top of his like sarcophagus and they only had one record and it was, um, uh, what was Saturday Night Fever? That's right, it was Saturday Night Fever. <laughs> and not the... And they only had the second album, so it wasn't even the one with all the good songs on it. And they just played that over and over again. It was just the most bizarre and surreal experience ever. And, and they were loving it, I'm sure. They were. And if I hadn't randomly befriended Marindi, I wouldn't have even known that was existed. And I certainly wouldn't have known anything about that unique um, language, uh, you know, language uh, technique that he had. So, 
yeah, no, I just think <laughs> you, know, you just don't know. I, I always say you cannot make up the stuff that happens. It's just, you know, it's just totally beyond imagination. How do you go about deciding, I'm going to go from, I'm just going to walk from London to Australia, or, or is this like you just rent oh, no, a car, no. a bike, or how are we? <laughs> I mean, still going. I'm <laughs> still going. <laughs> you just say, oh, yeah, there was one time when I did an overland trip from London to Sydney, and I'm just like, whoa, yeah. whoa, whoa, slow down. What do you mean you went from London to Sydney? What? Why do you do something like well, that? I, what, want, or, I wanted to see if you could do it without flying, basically. Uh, and I just, I, I, my trip, all my trips are like point A to point B. So I have a point A where I'm going to start and a point A, point B where I plan to finish. And then nothing, I have nothing planned. I just sort of let it just sort of play out. So with that one, I knew I wanted to go from London to Sydney overland. And basically I just set off. Um, and by whatever means I could go by, you know, public transport, of course, I had limited funds. So, you know, I'd catch a bus here or a train there, hitch a ride there. Um, you know, I don't think I ever had to catch and ride an animal. I don't think I did, but I can't say, I can't remember for sure. But, um, and again, that trip didn't, in my mind, I had a rough route, but I ended up going, um, as you go along, you meet people and they say, Hey, you should see this or go here. I remember, I remember in Iran, which, you know, I know Iran gets a bad rap and the government has got a lot of issues, but the people themselves, I, I always describe them as pathologically hospitable because I could not go anywhere in Iran without being dragged off to someone's home and being fed and meeting the family and so on and so forth. Why is and that like a one cultural thing I, that they're just so kind? I think, yeah, I think it's a cultural thing. And, you know, obviously in, in Islam, hospi hospitality is, is a really big thing. Um, but also because they're so cut off from the world, I mean, they were disappointed when they found out I wasn't Californian. <laughs> I was Australian. So they were, they were really, because I had long hair then, and I think that most, most, they must have thought that was maybe Californian. But they were really interested in the outside world and talking to you and finding out about what life was like and stuff. Because obviously they're getting fed a lot of propaganda, as we are getting fed a lot of propaganda. So um, it was it's a really interesting cultural thing. But I remember... I would meet other travellers in Iran and there was one place where this guy slipped me a bit of paper and it had a hand-drawn map to get to this place called Fatty's Place. And basically it was this family home that would take in travellers in Bam, which was this incredible mud brick city that's like thousands of years old. And I just remember having this hand-drawn map and going down this dusty little road, uh, you know, that classic Middle East mud brick wall with a, like a metal door just in and sort of knocking on the metal door and then it getting opened and being welcomed in to this like oasis. It was just this courtyard, beautifully tiled water and trees and fruit trees. And basically just spending three days there being sort of hampered and fed by this incredible family. So um yeah, I mean just just incredible stuff. Yeah, I've you know, I've got a friend and I'm I wanna do this this project that I'm working on. And I don't really I can't say what it is, but I I'm trying to figure out where in the world I want to do it. And I have a friend mm -hmm. that lives in Iran and yeah. I asked him the other day, I'm like, is it safe to come there? Cause you know, you look at the U S government thing. It's like, Oh, you're, you're guaranteed to be filleted alive, <laughs> cut into little pieces and sent back to your mother. I mean, that's what it says yeah. literally. And he's like, yeah. it's not really like that, but it is still kind of maybe a little bit dangerous. Maybe he's just covering it his ass, happen. but I, is it, is it safe to try and cause I think I have to fly to Germany to get there. I mean, what is the process with, like, if I want to go to Iran, is it safe? What do I have to watch out for? You know, how does that the all work these days? The thing is, 
I don't know. I think the hardest thing is getting a visa. Um, I basically spent my all most of my time from, or not most of my time, but the entire trip from London to the Iranian border was me going into every Iranian embassy along the way and begging them for a visa. Uh, and in the end, I couldn't get a visa, but I could get a transit visa, which was like a seven-day visa that let me travel through the country to the other side because basically right. I have said to them, look, I'm traveling overland. Uh, and that got me into the country. I remember being at the Turkish border and it was, you know, it is like you see, there's these huge pictures of the Ayatollah looking down at you and, you know, these murals of the American flag turning into a river of blood and all this sort of stuff. Right. And then this side saying in English, welcome to the Islamic Republic. Of <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's, like, <laughs> so it's just totally bizarre. But once I got in there, it was Everyone was just so friendly. And then I'd heard, you know, you because there's like a little bit of a, you know, like everywhere, there's a bit of a trail and, you know, anyone who's traveling through stays in the same place and that sort of thing. And then go, you know, you can extend your transit visa. These two Dutch guys told me and I go, oh, no, I didn't know that. And, and so I think I was in Esfahan and I went to the whichever government department it was and just said to the guy, look, I'd like to, you know, extend my visa. And he goes, for how long? And I go, well, I'd like you know, two weeks. And he goes, I'll give you five days. And then I said, well, I was just speaking some, to some Dutch guys and they're on motorcycles. You gave them 10, you gave them two weeks. And I said, I'm, I'm traveling on public transport. So it's going to take me much longer. He goes, oh, okay. 10 days. And I go, okay, deal. So we haggled over that. <laughs> and then he, he gestured to this guy and they came out with some, uh, you know, tea and biscuits to have. So <laughs> while it was all being processed. So it's, it's it's just totally bizarre, but I suspect it would be very easy to get yourself into trouble there um, if you weren't careful. I remember when, I, I again, in Espan, there was this tea shop under this medieval bridge, this arch medieval bridge. Uh, the, the river was going through the arches and they'd set up this tea shop underneath the arches. Beautiful, cool, lovely. And I was having tea with these guys, and they were just pointing out all the Secret Service guys to me, <laughs> saying, he's Secret Service, he's Secret Service. So I was being watched right. while I was there. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, so, absolutely. Uh, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it would be irresponsible to say, yeah, yeah, there's no, yeah, go there, it's no problem, blah, blah, blah. So there is always that little undercurrent. But There's always risk not, of anything. Uh, anything that's worth anything has risk yeah, involved exactly. in it. Yeah, and the upside is... No, I was just going to say, the upside is not many other people are there, so you are treated like this royal guest. Hmm. So, you know, it's not like they go, oh, another tourist. <laughs> right, and that's kind of like the case around the world for Westerners. And, like, if you go to some yeah. places in Africa, your skin, they just even want to just touch you. I mean, it's just your royalty, yep. essentially. And your hair as well, all kinds of things, you know, of body hair, whatever, just everything, uh, everything is can be quite um yeah a curiosity in in some parts of the world so yeah and it's it's i get I, it it sounds weird saying it, but it's kind of nice to sort of to travel somewhere like that because it's uh, I, I don't know i just think um people are more interested in you and you can be interested in them whereas i think in in other places where tourism is really uh, you know heavy and that sort of thing you you become just a dollar sign you know what i mean people are just you know, blah, you know, just they've just jaundiced about it all, you know what I mean? So uh I, I think that's that's the main thing. 
not that I want to be treated as someone special, but the fact that that allows me to, you know, connect with these people, hear about their lives and talk to them about mine um, without any other kind of aspect involved. You mentioned in Iran specifically, it could be easy to get in trouble. Are there times that you yourself have found yourself in trouble? Hmm. Actually, I'm going to be touching wood crazily when I say this. <laughs> I've, ne- I've never really found myself in deep trouble, shall we say. Um, I guess it depends I, what's I've your never, level of trouble. Right. Like I find well, being stuck in a place where rats are crawling on the wall sounds like trouble to me. <laughs> no, that sounds no. like trouble. Well, that's, that's, that's not deep trouble. I call life-threatening, my life in danger, apart from, you know, travelling in a really dangerous, beat-up minivan you know, in Afghanistan or something, and the, the danger is the sort of the the, the unroadworthiness of the vehicle. Um, but you know, I haven't been arrested. I haven't been, you know, I haven't really gotten in trouble with uh, authorities. Uh, I, I haven't really had. Um, I'm, again, I've never had a knife pulled on me, a gun pulled on me, or whatever. Oh, you know, I've had a couple of scams pulled on me, but that was my own stupidity. You know what I mean? Um, so I, I think what happens when you travel and when you travel a certain, you know, a certain way where sort of where you're catching public transport and you're, you know, you're meeting local people and that sort of thing, you really, I always tell people, listen to your gut, listen to your gut instinct. Cause, um, and I think when you travel, it, it, it gets more finely tuned. If you feel a bit uneasy or if you feel something's not quite right, listen to your gut and get out of there. Um, and you might be wrong. And you might have missed out on on uh, some kind of experience, but I think chances are, you know, it, it, you were right. I think it's some primal sixth sense that we have, and we're probably lost, uh, or not lost, but not in tune with it as much in the modern world. But I think when you get travelling, you do. And I mean, it's that I've I've had that a number of times where I just haven't felt something's quite right and walked off. And I think that's why I'm lucky that nothing really bad's happened. You make a good point there because I keep thinking about all your travels through these different countries. There has to at time be, and probably most of the time, challenges with language barriers. But I imagine that gut instinct transcends language, right? You can feel when something's off. You can. People look at you know someone's the way someone's looking at you or the way they're standing or whatever. I think people give off those kind of vibes and and you have it within you to pick up pick up on it i mean what i've found with language you know i mean i try and learn a few words and that's thing what i've found is two things one i honestly believe that the default setting for human beings is good i think that's the default setting and that's the the thing i've found when i've traveled everyone's wanted to help most people have wanted to help me uh and make sure nothing happened to me or that i got where i wanted to go or found what i wanted to find and so on and so forth and same with language. I find if you get a few words, a bit of charades, people will really want to understand what you're trying to say <laughs> to them. And so, you know, and, and you know, you walk up into, say, Mexico, you go to a bus station, you're in a bus station and you're going, Oaxaca, Oaxaca. They know it, it's not that big a leap to go, this guy wants to catch a bus to Oaxaca. Yeah. And, for, and then most people will point you to the bus going to Oaxaca. You know what I mean? You know, there, like I said, there's always someone dodgy who tries to get you on the more expensive one and so on and so forth. But generally speaking, you know, people will help you out and, and, and get you on your way. I mean, a lot of these places, they're just happy to have someone there um, visiting their country. Yeah, absolutely. So tell us the day about you decided to buy, buy a Vespa to drive around Italy. Yeah, well, uh, well, 
it's 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 been something that's been in my mind for a while. I remember when I was growing up in uh, it, I grew up on the outskirts of Sydney, and uh, I just remember seeing these old black and white Italian movies where everyone looks so cool. You know, I mean, I was this scruffy, you know, kid with greasy hair and flannel shirts and that sort of thing. And I'm watching these sort of black and white movies where, you know, Marcello Macchione is just, you know, dishe- you know looking, dis- he's disheveled, but he looks so cool. And he's got the, you know, the stubble and yeah. you know, there's always a Vespa and there's always a beautiful girl on a Vespa. And I just thought one day, one day <laughs> I'm going to Italy and do that. And actually it wasn't until I turned 40 that I did it. And I just thought, no, nah, it's now or never, you know what I mean? And but that worked out well because I thought, okay, if I'm going to do it, I want to get a Vespa as old as I am and in roughly the same condition. Yeah, a bit rough around the edges, but going okay. <laughs> I want to read a passage you. I like to say it's experienced, <laughs> worn in, like, like a good pair of jeans. So I want to read a little passage of your book, I think, which, which kind of you talk about the movies a little bit. But it says, no matter okay. the time of day or night, there would always be a clutch of beautiful women with large, dangerously pointy breasts waiting to flirt with him. <laughs> yep. And once he threw his leg over a Vespa, even with a three-day growth and a crumpled suit, he was a nonchalant style personified. To you, to a young guy still wearing flannelette shirts and UGG boots in the western suburbs of Sydney, was a heady revelation indeed. So <laughs> it was. It, so were you imagining? Was, well, my question was: there truth in that? Were all these pointy boobed women just flocking to you <laughs> across Italy, right? Well, <laughs> well, I'm going to say the Vespa did open up so many doors. In in, um, in Italy, but I I did have uh, I did meet someone, and they came over and spent some time with me. So I had to sort of like you know sort of keep the pointy breasts at bay uh, <laughs> for that reason. But <laughs> but having said that, I mean obviously with the story when I decided to go, I actually was in Sydney and I went on to eBay Italy, uh, and uh, I. Well, I'd been in contact with this guy in, in Livorno who called himself the Wasp Master and said, look, I'm looking for a Vespa, about 40 years old. And he just said, uh, well, look, there's this one on eBay Italy. I reckon it's just what you're you're looking for. So I went and looked at it, and it was. It was and Vespa was means perfect. Wasp was, in Italian, right? It does, yeah. yeah that, hence, he's named the Wasp Master, sorry. Yeah. Um, and, um, yeah, and it was. And I put a bid on it, and I won. <laughs> I, was, I, was, I was the winner for that thing. And then I thought, shit, it's in Milan. I'm in Sydney. Uh, what happens now? Because I thought, how do I pay the guy? All this sort of stuff. And uh, he was cool, Gianni, this guy called Gianni. And he just said, look, you know, pay me when you come over and pick it up, blah, 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 and all that sort of thing. That's very cool of him, whereas I've got to you know, get from Sydney to Milan. Uh, but I, I did that. I went, I turned up paid him he obviously there was issues with you know registration and insurance and he helped me sort all that sort of stuff out and it because it hadn't been going for a while it had a, a little few mechanical problems and he said look go up to lake como ride around lake como and just see if anything reveals itself and it did reveal itself <laughs> <laughs> what, what, what happened what? and he well it was it, it was back phone it wouldn't start and all that sort of thing so he said he's him he came up in his mercedes uh, whacked, it was a station wagon uh, and he whacked it in the back and took it back down. He said, I'll get my mechanic to look at it and then come down, you know, just, you know, enjoy Lake Camo, come on down. Uh, and it, he sort of fixed it, but it was an ongoing <laughs> issue. Um, <laughs> it turned out to be the points, you know, not to cut a long story, to cut a long story short, it was the points. And uh, I had 
endless trouble with the points for basically from Milan down to Livorno. But again, every time it broke down, I had a fantastic experience. I had Italians come to the rescue. Uh, I remember I was in uh, the middle of in high in the hills, uh, just out of Bronny, and it, bro- it broke down. I, ha- I took the site, the cow. On the side of Vespa, they've got these things called cows that you could take, you can take off and get to the engine. Um, and I was, you know, I'd had this little routine that was more kind of a, you know, a good luck routine rather than <laughs> mechanically based, <laughs> where I'd pull things off, blow in them, put petrol here, so on and so forth. And this little old guy with a flat cap was just sort of walking along with a stick, and he saw me, and he's just in the middle of nowhere, and he, with his stick, he sort of pokes me with it to get out of the way, and then he sort of bends down. <laughs> tinkers with it for a bit, kicks it over, and it starts. So, <laughs> And then he just sort of grabbed his stick and kept walking on. So all those kind of things. Everyone in Italy has basic Vespa mechanic skills, I think, because basically it's the first vehicle. And, I mean, that was what I found. Everyone in Italy had a Vespa story because it's their first – you know, we all have our first car. They always ha- they all have their first Vespa. Um, and uh, so – it, 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 like I said, it just opened up so many doors, and I had so many people helping me out. And then when I got to Livorno, um, uh, I, there was a guy I met called uh, Marco, who was a Vespa restorer, and he finally sorted the the points out for me. Though by that stage, they were telling me I'd had this, I'd bought this fridge magnet in Sydney of like Mary uh, as a sort of a good luck charm, and uh, they said to me, "Oh, there's your problem right there. Mary's just had." centuries of people asking her for favors she's just worn out (laughs) what you need to do is get padre pio he's just been made a saint he's fresh (laughs) off the bench (laughs) yeah he's got fresh legs he's the one you need so and i put the padre pio fridge magnet on and i didn't have a day's trouble with it (laughs) so (laughs) there you go who's who's to say who's to say Hmm. So how would you, so you obviously traveled in Italy without a Vespa, I imagine, at some juncture, right? I have done, yeah. Yeah, so Um, how would you compare the contrasting difference between, you know, having a Vespa and the the freedom to drive around versus not having it? Well, like, why why was this good? Why was the Vespa a good decision? It's night and day, absolutely night and day. Uh, I just think with Italy, again, it's one of those countries that's had millions and billions of of visitors, so they're a bit blasé. and so, you know, you're still eating the beautiful food. You're still seeing the amazing sights and, you know what I mean, uh, and you're having a little bit of a more, I think, superficial kind of uh, relationship with the people. When I rocked up on this little Vespa, for one thing, it was you don't, you don't see old Vespas on the road in Italy anymore because they had this um, uh, policy of called rotamazioni where basically they were paying people to get their old Vespas crushed uh so because they weren't you know they weren't meeting you know eu emission laws etc cetera, etc cetera. so you don't see that many anymore on the street in italy so i'd rock up into these places on this little beautiful little old vespa and people come up and they go oh beautiful but you know in italian and then i'll be looking at them saying i don't know what you're saying <laughs> they're going, you're not yeah and the, it's got milano plates and they're going you're not from milan i'm going no i'm from Australia and they go Australia and so it was just like bam arm around me you must come and you know see you know eat here marry my daughter (laughs) (laughs) she's got fantastically pointy breasts (laughs) I own this vineyard marry my daughter it's gonna be great I've got a whole crime syndicate over in New York it's gonna be perfect 
<laughs> so describe exactly. this Vespa not- to me. When they say it's beautiful and they say they then it's vintage, but I'm still imagining. I don't know what year it is. I don't know the engine. Like, what is okay. this thing? It was a nineteen. It was a. It's a. It was a little nineteen sixty two. Um, just a VB. It wasn't anything special, but it was. It it had never been restored. A beautiful coffee car- caramelly kind of color, and. It also had all these fantastic chrome extras because there was only only three people who owned this Vespa. There was the guy who bought it, Gianni, and me. Uh, now, the guy who bought it bought it especially to court a girl uh, because he wanted to impress the father. So he got this Vespa and he, he put all the, you know, he got it, you know, all the extras. So it had all these beautiful chrome protecting things and all that sort of stuff. And also he was smart because he had, an extra saddle seat put on it. So it had two sprung saddle seats because usually for the passenger, it was just like a little square of foam. Um, but, of course, in those days, courtship in Italy wasn't overnight. You know, it took months to woo a girl. So he's smart enough to have a comfortable seat <laughs> <laughs> to put her on on the back. So it was just it, it, it just a beautiful um, untouched Vespa. And that's what all the Italians warmed to the fact that it, it um, that that it, it it hadn't been tarted up, it hadn't been restored. It 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 looked the it looked a rage, but um, in good condition. And again, uh, what was it about three years ago? Vespa had a um, a big exhibition at their museum in in, Pio, in Pontedera about uh, I think it was the to celebrate traveling by Vespa. So they everyone that all these sort of you know inverted commas, famous Vespa riders uh, were, in, were invited to have their Vespas on display. Uh, and both my Vespas were part of the display. And, and Sophia, which was the name I gave to my first Vespa after Sophia Loren, of course, uh, was on this stand. And I, I would just sort of listen to people around it talking about it, and they that was the thing that they loved most, that it hadn't been restored and that it, 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 it looked its age but in good condition. Uh, and... It just like I just I think it just immediately brought back memories uh, for e- everywhere I went. Like I said before, every Italian has a has a Vespa story. I mean, a guy I grew up with in Sydney, he was a he was Italian, and he was saying when he was a kid they had a Vespa as their family vehicle, which was you know <laughs> as it was in Italy in those days, and they would go down to the nearest village, and uh, they had to decide: do we put ves- petrol in the Vespa to get us home? Or do we have a pizza? And if they went the pizza, they push the Vespa back home. Oh. So I mean, and everyone has these kind of stories, and it's really nice. And Sophia just seemed to act as some kind of trigger to to these memories. So everyone I met, huge smile on their face, um, and and then of course when they found out I was an Italian, they really loved the idea that this crazy Aussie had come all this way to ride around Italy on a Vespa, and of course. It was only a 125cc and a very old 125cc at that. So I couldn't go on any major roads. I always had to take the B roads, the back roads. And so that opened up so many experiences as well. So imagine you're the guy at the little restaurant with the little broom sweeping, you know, stand there sweeping. And some guy uh, pulls up to the, to, to the little restaurant. What is your story of your Vespa that you're going to tell that guy? That his new Vespa, his Vespa reminds you. Like, what is your quintessential Vespa Italy story? Well, one one is that little old guy I talked about. Yeah, yeah, that, yeah. That that 
that strikes me as that thing. But I think the one that also struck me, because also I guess it wasn't just the Vesper, it was that kind of Italian brio and that Italian, you know, attitude that I, I wanted to immerse myself in as well. And I remember when I uh, stay, when I got to Livorno and met Marco and Filippo, Filippo was the wasp master guy, because I said to him, look, when I get to Italy, I'm going to buy your beer because you, you know, pointed me in the direction of this so uh i caught up with them and and marco restores vespers i mean he's he's an artist i mean they're just so beautiful when he's finished with them but um i became friends with these guys and i just remember i and like if we went they take me out to restaurants and all that sort of stuff and i'd end up sleeping in his workshop on the sofa you know what i mean and for him get up the next day but then i remember one evening they said it's the pine nut festival do you want to come along (laughs) okay yeah, okay, that sounds cool. And so he, we all were on Vespers and Lambrettas, you know what I mean? There's, and they get a couple of other friends, and Felipe had a, like a Citroen Mahari, which is like this uh, little sort of canvas-top Jeep kind of thing. And then we just went off into the Tuscan countryside, just buzzing through these roads, group of guys. Uh, it was, it's very much, I always thought it was a bit like Dobie Gillis. That, there was that kind of sort of 60s kind of vibe to it. And we arrived at this thing that was next to this old church and they just had these huge fires and they were cooking. Everything was pine nut. You know, there was like, you know, pesto and pine nut this, pine nut that. And, you know, the steaks were cooked on, uh, you know, pine cone fires and all this sort of stuff. And it was just this everything that I'd imagined a night, you know, like a 60s kind of night happening in Italy would be like it was that night. And if I hadn't been on my Vespa, it would never have happened. You know what I mean? Why would it have happened? Right. It's that 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 was the kind of those those the kind of experiences that were just sort of happening all the time. Do you think different places in the world have like that? If that's the iconic experience in Italy, is there any other comparison you can draw to another place you've been where you were able to use, you know, whatever the iconic experience of that place was to kind of have a similar experience? Yeah, that's tricky. I, 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 I'm not I'm not sure about that, but I mean, I just I do know that. If you're open to people's uh, – people want to show you their culture. Um, I remember uh, when I was in Indonesia, I went to this island, uh, the Mentawai Islands, uh, which are off uh, Sumatra, the west coast of Sumatra, and hiked for a day into the centre of this island called Sibirut. And there was this tribe there, the Mentawai. Again, not much on, but more than a red cloth. <laughs> <laughs> they, they they had a bit more bark and, and stuff on. But I just remember with uh, spending the night in this sort of long hut in the middle of the jungle, uh, and you know, and they were doing uh, dancing and singing, and all their traditional cultures. A culture was on show, and I remember them saying to me, "You know, show us something from your culture." <laughs> <laughs> and right. you just think, okay, well, and all I could think of was beer commercials, singing these beer commercials and showing them, teaching them the Macarena. That was it. That was the <laughs> of How depressing for <laughs> ourselves is that? <laughs> oh, my God. So, you should yeah, have built it up, though. These... This is some big religious ceremony <laughs> that we do. <laughs> <laughs> the old exactly. de la capitalism. <laughs> <laughs> It is almost sad yeah, that we don't have like our culture has become so big, but nothing is yeah, and, so that nothing really stands out in in no, such a way. Become monolithic as well. It's monolithic, you know. What I mean, and almost international, you know. So 
But having said that, I've always it has always been a help for me being Australian um, because I think most countries in the world have no idea what Australia's political leanings are or anything. They just think of, um, you know, kangaroos, koalas. You know, they've got fond memory. Fond, they think fondly of Australia because of that. You know what I mean? Right. They think, oh, yeah, it's a, you know, nice beaches, people are friendly, and they've got cute animals. So Don't forget Crocodile no Dundee. Yeah. Oh, Crocodile Dundee, exactly, <laughs> exactly. And it and Skippy the Bush Kangaroo, which is this really old kids' program, uh, black and white, where there's this kangaroo, a bit like Lassie. It was the kangaroo version of Lassie. So the huh. boy, he had a pet kangaroo. Whenever he got in trouble or whatever, the kangaroo would do amazing things and and you know save the day, and it would always the kangaroo would just go, and the kid would go, "What's that, Skip? There are robbers <laughs> outside." <laughs> anyway, hugely successful around the world. Now, I was in Ethiopia. Not you know this 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 wasn't that long ago, and there was uh, some riots going on in Addis Ababa, and I was changing hotels. And anyway. Um, I was catching the minivan up to the new area. The minivan did a U-turn and I said, let me out because I thought I was going the wrong way. Anyway, I get out, put my backpack up on, look up, and here's this rampaging mob coming towards me. So basically, again, another person grabbed me, dragged me into this little mud brick building beside the road, which happened to be a coffin shop. And so there's about, <laughs> <laughs> there about seven of us cowering amongst coffins while outside there's cars being overturned and riots going on that sort of stuff and i'm just thinking i wonder if i you know because they're saying to me stay out of sight because you know if they see a, a white person they'll probably want money etc cetera, etc cetera. best to stay out of sight and i go okay and then i'm thinking should i get in one of the coffins and hide you know <laughs> and then i thought well what if a stray bullet came through and got me and I'm in the coffin, all these crazy thoughts. But anyway, eventually it all calmed down and this young guy who was cowering beside me um, said, oh, look, I'll, I'll show you where this ho the hotel is you're going. So we're walking up this road, Churchill Road, it is. we got to the big roundabout and there was still sort of angry kind of people um, milling around and they spotted me and they're going, American, American, like that and like chanting and like, get him, get him kind of thing. And this young guy with me went over and spoke to them and then they just calmed down and let us pass. And I said to him, what, what did you say to them? He goes, I told them you're Australian. They've seen your skippy. <laughs> awesome. So, so when they think if a kangaroo can, you know, hotwire a, a car and or, or knock out a robber with a stick, Imagine what an actual Australian can do. So, <laughs> I, was, I, was, I was sort of given free passage thanks to Skippy the Bush Kangaroo. So, yeah, there you go. Do you still have your Vespas? Do you still have both of them? I do. I do. Um, Sophia from Vroom with a View, the book Vroom with a View, she's in Marco's workshop. Marco's the the uh, Vespa store I was telling you about. He's got a, this beautiful workshop. It's It's pristine and it's like a little museum as well. So, Sophia's there, um, and I go and visit her. I mean, I've moved to London um, since, and so I can sort of, well, when there's no pan not a pandemic, <laughs> I can just sort of pop across pretty easily and see her. And then the other one, which was in my second book, Room by the Sea, the second Vesper book, um, Marcello, who was the bright orange 1972 rally, fantastic bike with go, go white stripes, uh, go fast stripes and 200cc. So it's like the hot rod of, 
of yeah. old Vespers. Um, that's with Filippo, the Wasp Master. So, and again, I just sort of go over. I mean, that's the other thing. Um, these people have become lifelong friends. I've been to both their weddings. I've been to the christenings of their kids. My daughter was actually the uh, flower girl at, at Marco's wedding in this amazing Italian wedding on this little island. So uh, all of those still friends. And, I mean, that's something that only happened because of the Vespa. I, I don't know that I would have had that sort of made those kind of deep friendships without it. So, uh, yeah, both of them are Italy and uh, – I go over and visit them whenever I can. <laughs> it sounds like a life-changing leap of faith. And I'm kind of wondering what you're driving around in, in, in England. Do you drive anything? Do you have another, like maybe like a, like well, a side, like a side scooter that I know it's not Sophia, but maybe it's like a, <laughs> another girl that you drive I, around while she's, while she's not available. Well, I did, I did have a, uh, this beautiful little, um, uh, uh, sport NS and it was, uh, what do they call that? Matt Gray. Matt Gray paint. It was beautiful. Uh, and uh, I was riding around here and then I got hit by a car. So oh. um, I traveled length and breadth of Italy, no problems. London, people just don't look out for bikes here. You know what I mean? In Italy, they just naturally assume there's a dozen Vespas <laughs> buzzing all around them. You know what I mean? And they, they drive accordingly. Uh, whereas in, in London, they just don't see. Basically, I was going along, and this guy just did a U-turn in front of me. Luckily, I was only doing, I think, about 15 miles an hour. So basically, my, I went into the side of this guy's van. He had a startled look on his face. I was ended up getting an MRI scan. <laughs> I mean, it's just – and then I just thought, I'm, I'm, it's just too dangerous here, you know what right. I mean? And the thing is, uh, it, it's not pleasant either. Uh, you know, you guys know what London weather's like. <laughs> Yeah, it I ain't suppose. no Tuscany, you know. What I mean? it's not, <laughs> and there's not so many pointed breasts either. So you know, it's just like <laughs> what, what are you, what are you doing it for? So um, no, sadly, uh, sadly, I, I I have to go to Italy to get my Vespa fix now. So uh, what are your thoughts which, on using you know, a car as a tool for exploration? You know, especially in the United States or any of the bigger bigger places. Well, yeah, exactly. I mean, funnily enough. Um, the girl that I was talking about earlier, who came over to Tuscany on, on when I was going around on Sophia, we we ended up getting married, and uh, so I took her out to Australia, and uh, we did the classic round Australia road trip where we bought an old Ford Falcon station wagon from the backpacker car market in Sydney, uh, a thousand bucks. What's the backpacker car market? What is that? Basically, it's this thing. Into, it's, you know, these sort of undercover car parks on the very bottom floor, you know, like about, you know, seven levels underground where there's no daylight. They basically have this car market where basically people drive around Australia in a car and then they bring it there and sell it. It's like, and they have their cars there and they sit beside them and sell it to the next lot of backpackers who fly in, you know, to buy a car. So that's, you just sort of go there and you, they've all got, uh, you know, you, and that's just this thing that happens. That's where you go if you want a cheap, old, beat up car that you want to drive around Australia. You just go there. And uh, I, bought, Peter, you should see Chris's we, eyes just lighting up over here. <laughs> this awesome. is right up his alley. <laughs> yeah, this is awesome. It's fantastic. So it's like it could be if old four wheel drives. It could be well a Ford Falcon station wagon. They're big. I mean, they're really big cars. Big V eight engine in them, but they're basically bulletproof you know what i mean because they're just they're just so simple uh and basically again like the vespa everyone any 
garage you pull into around Australia, even in the middle of the outback, they know how to fix them up. So, or they've got the part that you need, or there's a wreck out the back that they can go and pull the part off. You know what I mean? I mean, that's one of the dreams is just flying somewhere and buying whatever car exists and then driving it around. I mean, that's that's something that's been floating around in my brain for decades. It was perfect. We just and we went around and it was it was old and it had air conditioning because my wife said, if we're going to do it, it's got to have air conditioning. (laughs) The the, the air conditioning was so shit, though. If you were (laughs) you had to judge your speed, because if you went over a certain speed, um, the engine couldn't run the the air conditioning so well so you had to get um, a sort of optimum speed for optimum coolness and i mean it was never <laughs> it was never ice cold i mean when we went through western australia it was hitting 50 degrees celsius uh and so you, you at best you'd be knocking 10 degrees off um that's it and i remember we pulled up to get petrol and my wife just wound up with that was like a dog panting you know just absolutely <laughs> exhausted by the heat but it was it was a great car it took us all the way around you know we went through the outback we went you know up the the east coast to cairns and you know the great Barrier reef and then up the northern territory and down western australia and the thing kept going i mean it it, it, it was like i said it was it's sort of bulletproof and then um when we were in Melbourne, I don't know. This you, I, I don't know. This will sort of make um, much sense to Americans. But there's this long-running soap opera in Australia called Neighbours, and it's set in this suburban suburb in Melbourne. And uh, it's, a, it's very popular in Britain, so a lot of British tourists go there and make a pilgrimage to it and that sort of stuff. And uh, so we were there, and we thought, oh, let's go out to Ramsey Street where it's filmed. So I parked up, and just as I parked up, they were filming, and this police car came screaming around the corner, and it was all part of the the scene that they were shooting. You know, I took photos, and you know, could could see the car, our car, you know, on Ramsey Street with the you know the the, the cast around it. Anyway, I didn't think anything more of it, and then got back to Sydney and thought, okay, we'll go back to. We bought it from the backpackers car market. We'll sell it there. So we take it there, and the thing is, you go there, and people think. It's it's the universal folly. They think they're going to get more for something than they pay for. It, you know what I mean? And if, if if I sell it for, I can sell it for two grand, and that'll pay for a month in Thailand. You know what I mean? All that sort of thing. So I had more realistic expectations. I just thought if I can get what I if I can get what I bought it for, I'm happy. So that's the price we put on it. And then I made this little um, uh, sort of poster up to put on it with the photo from Ramsey Street as seen on Neighbours. <laughs> and we sold it within an hour. <laughs> nice. It just was, and there's all the, you could see all these other backpackers just like spitting chips and, you know, basically looking at me with daggers because, you know, they've been sitting there, you know, seven stories underground and they haven't seen sunlight for a week uh, trying to sell their cars. And this guy just rocks up, sells it within an hour. But there you go. We're going to have to touch base on on that backpackers car thing at some point. We're, I'm going to have to contact you yeah, outside sure. the podcast because that sounds really, really interesting. I'd like to explore that. So where in the world would you go if you wanted to drive and do a road trip? Where Where's Peter going if you had one place to do okay. a road trip? I'd love to do oh, – actually, the, okay, this one. All right. What I'd love to do. I'd love to do a road trip, I think, down through West Africa in maybe one of those old um, Peugeot 504s that with like the book, 
the bush taxis because, again, another car that's part of the heritage of that region and just bulletproof, you know what I mean, and yeah, really soggy suspension that <laughs> can just go through you know, a, a seven-foot pothole and, and you wouldn't even feel it. Well, you have um, to choose and, the car and, of the region you're in. Whatever car that is, that's yeah, what you're exactly. doing. Doing it in. Well, see, this is what you're talking about. I mean, it's, it's you know, it's like, you know, Route 66. You're not going to do that, you know, in a, you know, a Hyundai, you know. <laughs> right. Whatever, <laughs> I-20 or whatever. You know, you're going to do it in some big American muscle car, right. some big old clunker. I mean, f- for someone not from America, I mean, that's what you do. Um, and, yeah, exactly. Or, you know, this you know, I'd love to go across sort of Siberia or something in one of their old, you know, one of their old four-wheel drive kind of yeah, UAZ uh, or... vans. Yeah, yeah, exactly. The the ones they call the bread or the, the loaf of bread or whatever because yep. it's just a box. <laughs> I think you've got to, you've got to do it in a a, 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 a a sort of a vehicle that's, you know, to that, to that place. I mean. Especially if just, you want to get uh, it fixed when something goes wrong. <laughs> Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> My, when, when I lived in San Francisco, we were taking a. I was in just finishing college or finishing dropping out of college anyway. And my <laughs> my grandpa flew out to drive back with me. And the car that we chose, we're like, oh, what kind of car do we want to get? We chose a 1983 Mercedes 380SE, which proceeded to shit the bed in uh, in in I think it was what is in California Yellowstone. I think it's Yellowstone. And uh, it's Yosemite. Okay, Yosemite then. I always get the two confused. And we sat there, which actually worked out pretty good because we got the prime camping spot. There's like an emergency camping spot. So (laughs) we didn't have to make a we didn't have to make an appointment, nothing. But the car broke down in the park and it took two weeks to get an axle for that car. Because, I mean, if I would have had just about anything else, we would have been out of there. Yeah. But, you know, those two weeks in a prime camping spot. Oh, it was great. You know? It was awesome. Exactly. It was, my grandpa exactly. outliked me. It was unbelievable. He was probably, <laughs> God, 20 years ago, he was 70 years old, and I couldn't keep up wow. with him. And the dude was just gone. It was, it <laughs> yeah. was, it was crazy. So for a guy, yeah. last question for you here. For a guy okay. that seemingly has gone everywhere, where else mm-hmm. do you go? Like, at some point, you've got this, like, let's say you've got this Rolodex of places you want to go. As you get to the end, do you struggle to find new places to go or is, do you find that there's always no. something out there? There's always something. I always see something that go. I go, wow, that looks cool or that looks amazing or who, who knew that such a place existed? Every day I'm seeing something like that, making a little mental note of what of, – I mean, it's endless. The number of places that are out there in the world is are endless. I mean, to my – shame i haven't done i haven't seen a lot of the states for example and i'd love to have a good wander around there because i remember when i came out to promote room with a view when it came out in the states uh i went i think they sent me to i was in new york washington richmond virginia new orleans and denver um and what blew me away was each one of those places felt like a different country. You know <laughs> it what I mean? Wild. Yeah, you yeah. get this idea in your mind that America is this sort of monolithic, unicultural kind of place, and it's not. So I would, I mean, that's what I, I'd love to have a really good wander around the States. Um, but then, you know, and I, the former Soviet Union, I love all those kind of places. I haven't done a lot of uh, Latin America. So still got a heap of places to go. Sure. And like I said, Every time I open a magazine or turn on TV or whatever or go to a particular website or whatever, I'm always seeing stuff that just uh, intrigues me. So I think it's not going to be a case of running out of 
um, places as if I, you know, if, if that, uh, passion is still there. You're going to run out of time you know, and it, is what you're going to do. Yeah, I'm going to run out of time. Yeah. I mean, that's it. Uh, that sad fact, but yeah, but, uh, I think I've had a pretty good go of it there. <laughs> I think you have too. Tell me a little bit about the vagabond <laughs> imperative. Yeah. Uh, again, uh, sort of with the, the sort of pandemic, I just thought, God, I can't travel anywhere. And I just thought, you know, this pandemic, I, I, I October, last October, I was lucky enough to sort of pop across to Poland and go to Krakow, uh, Krakow and uh, Katowice and, and have a look around there. And it was so nice because there wasn't a lot of tourists there. Uh, and I was meeting local people and it was a totally different experience. And I was just thinking, wouldn't it be nice if we use this pandemic to sort of reset how we think about travel, to make it about the authentic experiences, to make it about, um, you know, the places and the people rather than the photo. Um, so yeah, I just set up this online magazine and uh, vagabond, the vagabondimperative.com. And it, it's just to have bite size inspiration kind of things. And just like I talked about just then, like I think of, we've done something on uh, Stalin's got a, had an underground bunker in Moscow that they only discovered a few years ago. Just things like that. You see, wow, that's amazing. I want to go and see that. Or a wife stealing ceremony in Chad or just these little a bizarre what? things. That, uh, oh. <laughs> it's a wife stealing um, festival in Chad where the guys <laughs> basically dress up and paint their faces uh, okay. to try and, and the idea is to steal the wife, you know, catch the eye of another guy's wife and run off with her. That's so, interesting. That's I mean. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm that's sure that happens with... all the time in Wall Street, but it's not It's not a festival. You know? it's, it's more of like a lawsuit waiting to happen. <laughs> this is a, it's an annual festival. But you know what I mean? That's what I mean. There's so much stuff around the world, so many crazy things. Um, and I guess what I want for this website is to have those little little things like that where people go, wow, that's amazing. I want to go and see that. Or, you know, and and I think the, the point I want to make as well is to have an adventure, to to just open yourself up to do something. And it doesn't have to be, a, you know, a big overland trip from London to Sydney. It can be just on your next trip to Italy, hey, there's this crazy church where they've got paintings of the people had made when they had a near-death experience and that's in Livorno by the way um but you know I mean just and you think I've got to go and see that and so you get the little funicular up and and see that so just to open yourself up a bit to well you know jump on a local bus you know just see where it goes I mean I was lucky in Armenia in Yerevan the capital they've got this metro system that's a mini version of the incredible one in Moscow and, you know, for less than 20 cents, you can get on that and just sit on it and just go around and see these amazing stations that are like art galleries, you know, and with all the sort of chandeliers and all that sort of stuff. You know, and that's that's something you can do. You're not in danger. You know, it, it goes around the circle, so you can't get lost. <laughs> just, I think just, people you know, get – that sounds awesome. <laughs> I think what people do and one of the mistakes they make in traveling, everybody has their own way of traveling. I understand that. But one thing that always yeah. bothers me, and I went to, went to Berlin with a friend maybe – 15 years ago. And that guy had to have everything planned out to the absolute yeah. microsecond. We're going to go here. We're going to go there. We're going to do this. We're going to do that. And I went to, and I, and I hated it. I abhorred it. It was horrible. And I yeah. went back to Berlin, yeah. uh, maybe three or four years ago at, for work. I was there for a week and I just wandered around and it was awesome. I wandered yeah. around. I talked to people. I went into like, oh, that restaurant, I'll just try that for lunch today. And I went in there. I didn't really, like, I like museums and stuff too, but I just, for some reason, just wandering around. Maybe that's why they call it wanderlust. Yeah. I don't know. But just yeah. wandering around was yeah. incredible. 
Now, before we get too much further, let's take a break here and talk about our sponsor, Olberg Car Care. Olberg is your source of professional detailing compounds and supplies that is research tested and developed by professional detailers themselves. These are the guys that are actually passionate about detailing and know firsthand what makes a good product. And they truly are great products. I love it's a simple, foolproof two-step system, easy, and gives an amazing finish. And right now, they're offering a whopping 20% off your order when you use the code OVERCREST. The discount code is good not only on OBERCCARCARE.com, but also on DetailedImage.com and CarSuppliesWarehouse.com. Please go check them out today. I, if you can let go of that fear of missing out kind of thing, oh, I've got to tick off all the the you know must see museums and that sort of thing, and just sort of yeah, you'll find places that that you, that aren't in the guidebooks, and it's just even more amazing. So uh, that would be my number one advice: just you know, just go somewhere and just take it as it comes, and uh, see what happens. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast, man. We're going to put the link for the Vagabond Imperative, and we're going to link your books. I actually I got cool. had a pretty good go at Room with a View. It's a good book. I encourage everybody to take uh, take a look at, at Amazon where you can pick it up. Yep. Or is there a better place that you'd yep. like people to go? No, no, Amazon's good. Great. I mean, it's on Kindle now, and it's it's a good price, and uh, all my books are there now. It's awesome. Uh, it's it's a good. great book. It's an easy yeah. read. It's 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 really easy read to take yeah. in, and enjoyable and funny, and uh, pointy breasts and all that <laughs> other type of type of type of, type of stuff. Let, look, people are going to think I've got an obsession. <laughs> Wait, well, I mean, <laughs> that's my. Yeah, yeah, you're I've the got one that keeps bringing it up here. I, I, keep, I keep bringing it up. Peter Moore, thank you so much for coming on the podcast and hanging out with us. I really appreciate it. No, and let's no let's worries. get together. Thanks, let's talk about this Australian car park thing. That I I yeah, think that sounds great. Yeah, backpackers car market. We'll yeah, do. let's talk okay. about it. All right, we'll talk soon, man. Take See care of yourself. Bye. You too. Bye. Bye bye. Oh, that what That's a life! Amazing. What a life! How awesome! How awesome is it? The story of how'd you meet your wife? You're like, for me, I go, I met her online like 15 years ago. It was it was interesting. It was kind of cool. Like it wasn't the thing you would do. It's much better to say, how did you meet your wife? Oh, I flew to Italy, bought a Vespa, met my wife, and then we moved yeah. to London. Yeah. I mean, that's like that really is. cool. And the only way you have an experience like that is putting yourself out there to take the risk to go right. and do it. And I mean, that's, I do that's like what his it's really all concept, about. Though, of you don't have to do a full overland expedition to get out and right. explore. Yeah, that's what I tell everybody. They're like, oh, my God, I could never do a road trip like that. I'm like, then don't. Just drive to the next state over exactly. or, you know, just just get out and, and, and do it and take the car and enjoy yourself. You don't Even have to drive. Even in my own little side of the cities over here, I, the other day, like, started wandering down and found a, a downtown area I never knew existed and going into different yeah, shops. It's, and It's the key. It's the key is to never stop exploring. I know that's North Face's <laughs> little little thing, but it, it, it's, it's, it's yeah. true. It's true. It's always, always get out there and experience as much as you possibly can. Because like we said, we're running out of time. And we have. We'll see you guys next time. Take care.